Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com slash radiodetectives. Before we do get started, I do want to say our listener support campaign does continue, and I'd like to thank Timothy and Donald so much for their support, as well as Kate. And you can support the great detectives of old-time radio on a one-time basis, support.greatdetectives.net, or by mailing in a check to Adam Graham, P.O. Box 15913, Boise, Idaho, 83715 or by going to patreon.greatdetectives.net. Among the thank you gifts we do have for the one-time donations include at the $20 level one of the great colonial radio theater audio dramas, including some of their great adventure stories, such as the fantastic adaptation of King Solomon's Mine, or Zorro and the Pirate's Raiders. We will send that at your request with a donation of $20 or more. And again, that's support.greatdetectives.net. Also over at greatdetectives.net this weekend, my review of Big Finish's original Sherlock Holmes story, The Reification of Hans Gerber. And you can get all of my reviews automatically delivered to your Kindle by subscribing through the Amazon store. Well, now it's time for today's episode of Dragnet. The original air date on today's program is August 24th of 1950, and the title is The Big Chance. The story you are about to hear is true. Only the names and locations have been changed to protect the innocent. Dragnet. You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned a homicide detail. You answer an early morning call. A police officer on patrol duty disappears. Any attempt to contact him by car radio fails. Your job, find him. Dragnet, the documented drama of an actual crime. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step-by-step on the side of the law through an actual case from official police files. From beginning to end, from crime to punishment, Dragnet is the story of your police force in action. It was Monday, June 4th. It was sultry in Los Angeles. We were working the early morning watch out of homicide. My partner's Ben Romero. The boss is Chief of Detectives Thad Brown. My name's Friday. It was 6.45 a.m. when we got to the Imperial Highway. San Pedro cutoff. Hi. Friday and Romero? Yeah, that's right. Pete Sutton, Sheriff's Department. How are you? Hello. We got here as soon as we could. Inspector Bowers filled you in? Yeah, Ed Backstrand, Central Homicide, told us to check with Bowers at the Sheriff's Office. Bowers directed us to come out here and lend you a hand. This thing happens close to the county line. They figure both departments ought to go to work on it. Sure, glad to have you. Looks like a tough one. Is this the highway patrol car the missing officer was assigned to? Yeah. This is just the way we found it. We turned off the ignition. Motor was running, lights were on. Must have been idling quite a while. The temperature was up pretty high. When did you find it this way? 
45 minutes ago. Missing patrolman's name is Eugene Brewer. State Highway Patrol called the Sheriff's Department a little before 6 a.m. Told us the missing officer wasn't acknowledging his radio call. I talked to Mark Benson. Mm-hmm. Is the radio all right? We checked it. In fact, it was operating normal when we found the car. Mike was out of the bracket, laying on the seat there. Well, any ideas? No signs of struggle. No blood stains. This asphalt here. No footprints anywhere. Nothing on the shoulder of the road. You said the car was running? That's right. That eliminates any engine trouble. Yeah. No, there's more to it than that. Gotta be. Nobody has any idea why or when he left his car. You've got it all. You know as much as we do. What was the check on Brewer? Mark Benson says he's one of their top men. Been with Highway Patrol for eight years. Good record all the way. Have you talked to anybody around here? Pretty remote spot out here. A lot of truck gardens, that's about all. My partner Dave Terry turned up one man. Maybe he's got something. That's him over by our car. Hey, Dave, would you send him over here, please? Who is the fellow? One of the farmers. Works at truck garden out here. Name's Henry Taniguchi. Lieutenant Sutton? Yes, sir. Mr. Taniguchi, this is Sergeant Friday in Romero. Oh, yes, sir. Oh, yes, sir. I know you filled my partner in, but uh, would you mind going over it again for us? Oh, all right. I can tell you very little. You know, we start work early in the garden. Yes, sir. Uh, Conrad, a fellow I work with, uh, Conrad Ishikawa, uh, we start in the string beans about uh, 5 o'clock this morning. Uh, Bean patch uh, near Imperial Highway. Yeah. Uh, we notice a headlight stop off the side of the road. This happened all the time along the highway, but uh, this stayed very long. Mm-hmm. About what time did you notice this, Mr. Taniguchi? Uh, must have been uh, oh, 10 minutes uh, past five. I remember asking uh, Charlie uh, Fujikuni, our cultivator man, what time was. I see. Did you see or hear anything out of the ordinary? Oh, no, sir. Uh, we wait a while, and uh, head I do not move. Uh, Conrad and I decide that maybe somebody was in trouble. This highway quite deserted early morning hour. What'd you do then? Uh, we walked up to see what was wrong. Uh, when we get close, we could see was state highway car, so we know everything all right. Mm-hmm. Did you see the officer in the car? Oh, no. Uh, door was open on the other side. We thought maybe officer investigate something down in the brush. Did you see him down there? Oh, no. We just think he was uh, check up something. So we go back to work. You saw nothing out of the ordinary, nothing unusual? No, we don't. Uh, we hear radio play. We know everything okay. That checks out. The radio was functioning when we got here. Mm-hmm. You didn't notice any other cars around anywhere, did you? Oh, no, sir. Thank you very much, Mr. Taniguchi. Uh, here's my card. Appreciate it. If you think of anything else, please let us know. Oh, yes, sir, I will. Uh, what happened to officer in this car? We don't know. Oh, he's all right. Uh, probably uh, look for somebody. Well, that makes us even. We're looking for him. Monday, June 4th, 8 a.m. According to our instructions, we headed back to the Hall of Justice to check in with Inspector Gordon Bowers and Captain Garner Brown of the Sheriff's Department. They were coordinating the search for the missing highway patrolman, Eugene Brewer. Inspector Ed Backstrand, Central Homicide, was helping out. To the peace officer, cooperation with all branches of the various law enforcement agencies is essential. Each man on the force knows the value of a coordinated effort. He knows that without the aid of the many divisions of law enforcing bodies in his city and county, the task of maintaining law and order would be a total failure. The local officer depends on the men in the federal, state, and county departments as they depend on him. 
Without this coordination, no one department could survive. 8.25 a.m., we met with Inspector Bowers and Ed Backstrand in the sheriff's office. Nothing, huh? Nobody saw him. If somebody did, we haven't found him, Inspector Bauer. We both figured the only thing to do was to ask for cooperation of the newspapers. We got it. Pretty good layout, huh? There's stories in every morning edition in town. They're running a picture in full description of the missing patrolman. Well, we talked to everybody we could find in the general area out there. We worked two hours at it. The spot where the patrol car was found is pretty remote. A couple of gas stations, some vegetable gardens. We told you about the town of Gucci fellow. Checked all his friends that worked with him. They couldn't add anything. Maybe the newspaper will turn up something. I sent a special detail out there to fan out and search the entire area. Five square miles. Yeah. It'll take time. There's nothing else we can do. No, there's nothing more we can do. There's nothing anybody can do until we can show them the patrol cars how to carry two men. Nobody seems to be able to do anything about it. Yeah, maybe they will now. Sending one officer out in a patrol car is like trying to run a trolley line with one man. How many cases can you remember in our department? Ed Dudman pulled the car over in Dogtown at 3 o'clock one morning. I remember. Driver turned out to be a guy with a record. Dudman couldn't know that. While he was making out the traffic ticket, the guy shot him down in the street. Dudman died before he could get help. Yeah, we do a lot of griping in the detective division, but those men in the patrol cars and the motorcycle boys, they get the dirty end of the deal for sure. You bet they do. When a detective is sent out on a job, he knows who he's after, what he looks like, what he can expect when he finds him. The boys in the patrol cars answer a call, a 390, a 415, a 507. Sure, we know what they're supposed to be, but how often do they turn out that way? Prowler, a peeping Tom. How many times do they have a gun in their pocket? How many cops do they kill every year? We've all been through it. We know what it is. Yeah, but how often do we think about it when we're griping on stakeouts? Let me tell you something. This goes for me as well as you. Let's not forget who the real cream of the force is, the backbone of any police department. Men on wheels. No question there, Skipper. Sorry, I didn't mean to make a speech, but when something like this happens, it gets to me. We're riding on short odds as it is. There ought to be two men in every patrol car. Well, we should have been somebody else with Brewer. The guy on the job just doesn't disappear without a trace. It's just what he's done. We've checked everywhere, everything. Excuse me. Powers. Who? Yeah, send him right in. This might help. Truck driver by the name of Nat Wolf says he's got something for us. Come in. Mr. Wolf? Yes, sir. Come in. Mr. Wolf, Inspector Backstrand, Sergeant Friday, and Romero. Hi, hi. How do you do? Hi. Um, I saw the story in this morning's Times. I don't know if what I got's worth anything, but I figured I'd better pass it along to you guys. Something on the missing highway patrolman? Well, I don't know. The reason I'm here... Maybe it's just a coincidence, but I gave a fellow a hand earlier this morning out on the Imperial Highway, not far from where the paper here says the empty patrol car was found. About what time was that, Mr. Wolf? All around 4.30 this morning. You want to tell us about it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm an independent trucker. I haul topsoil for different nurseries. Stuff out there in Imperial is good, rich stuff. We dig it right out of the side of the hill. Yes, sir? Well, I just loaded up, and as I'm on my way back to town, this fellow flags me down. Said he'd had a flat, pulled out on the shoulder of the road to fix it. Said he didn't know it was sand. After he'd fixed the flat, he found out he stuck. He couldn't get his car. You gave him a hand, huh? No, not with the flat. He already had that fixed, but I towed him out. I see. That's how I became suspicious of this fellow. How do you mean? Well, I offered to get out and hook up the tow chain. He said, no, no, just stay in a cab. I figured if he could do it alone, it was all right with me. Well, I pulled him out. Here's the funny part. Yes, sir? The chain got a kink in it from the weight of the pull. It's no mean job to handle that alone, but he says, no, he'll do it himself. Seemed to me like uh, he didn't want me to get a good look at him or his car. I, I could be wrong, but 
Well, that's the way it struck me. Did you notice anything? Yes, sir, I did. For one thing, I got a look at him when I threw on my backup lights and, and his car. That's a real funny one. What do you mean? Well, it was a fairly new car. I'd, well, I'd say no older than last year's model, a Plymouth. Well, at the risk of sounding completely nuts, I'm going to tell you that car looked like it had just been painted. There's nothing wrong in that, is there? Well, there is if you're off on the side of the road that time of the morning throwing cheap black paint all over a fairly new car. If he's using a spray gun, I could understand part of it. What's that? It's his license plate. The front one. It was all painted over. You, you couldn't read any of the numbers. Mm-hmm. What led you to believe he just finished painting his car? Oh, his hands and arms. It was all over his clothes. Oh, I see. It's that kind of paint you put on the rag. You know? Oh, yeah. Well, I don't know. Was it, was it worth bothering you guys about? You bet it was, Mr. Wolf. I can't tell you just what it means now. Maybe it doesn't mean anything, but certainly it's out of the ordinary and worth reporting to the police. Well, I hope so. I'd like to see you boys find that missing officer. Something's pretty rotten in Denmark about that one, huh? Maybe we found a hole. Maybe. Friday, I'd like to have you and Romero help out in the next step. What's that? Throw up a roadblock. a.m. Before we left the sheriff's office, the truck driver, Nat Wolf, gave Inspector Bowers a description of the man in the Plymouth sedan. Together with Lieutenant Pete Sutton and Dave Terry, we drove to the Imperial Highway. Nat Wolf showed us the spot beside the road where he towed the man. The area was checked and sample scrapings of the black paint were taken. There was no chance of taking a tire impression because of the loose sand in the area. All physical evidence was taken back to the crime lab for analysis. Nat Wolf returned to the office to check through mug books for possible identification of the man he helped out. Meantime, a special detail of men continued to search the area where the missing patrolman had disappeared. 3 a.m. According to instructions, a roadblock was established at the spot where the abandoned patrol car had been found. Imperial Highway, San Pedro Cutoff. Police business? Yes, sir. wonder if you could help us out. Certainly. You travel this highway every night, ma'am? Yes, I do. I'm in the vegetable business. Did you come this way last night about this time? I run pretty much on schedule. Yes, I did. Did you notice anything unusual along the highway? I bet I know what this is about. That missing highway patrolman. Yes, ma'am. We're stopping everybody to see if they can give us any information that might help us out. Oh, I wish I could, but I didn't see a thing. That poor fellow. Do you think you'll find him? Mm, we're trying awful hard. Sorry, I can't help you. Can I go now? Yes, ma'am. Thank you. How'd you do? Nothing. What time you got, Joe? Uh, almost four. Got a little more hot coffee in that jug. You want some? It's fine with me, yeah. Mm-hmm. Here we are. Cups in the lid here. Thanks a lot. Watch your fingers. It's hot. Yeah. It's good. I'll take this one. I'm going to put my coffee on the fender here. Don't knock it off, huh? No, I Thank you. Hey, wait a minute. Wait a minute, fella. Can you see my light? I haven't even got a cigarette. I mean my flashlight. I got a cigarette lighter, if that'll do you any good. You've been drinking, haven't you? Yes, I have. I never get drunk, but I've had a little drink. I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to ask you to pull over to the side of the road. Okay. 
What happened to my car? It's broke. You better let me do it, huh? You want to slide over a little bit there? I'll never pick up hitchhikers. No, I'm just going to move your car off the side of the highway now. Any trouble, Joe? No. It's 502. We'll have to hold him a while. We'll tell your friend to get him, too. It's a sedan. We're not going far. Where are we going? Right here. Is this the road to Pismo Beach? No, sir, not this one. Well, that dirty little Ernie, he lied again. He hates clams. What's that? I've been trying for five months to get to Pismo Beach for a bowl of clam chowder. I haven't made it yet. All right, you just sit here a while and sober up, will you? I'm going to hold on to your keys. I'll give them back to you. You haven't got a bottle in the car, have you? No, I never drink and drive. Alcohol and gasoline do not mix. Yeah. You drive this road every night? Every night. And he keeps telling me to take me to Pismo Beach. I love clams. You just sit here and sober up. Happy drunk? Yeah, he's too drunk to drive. Yeah, getting along towards daylight. Where'd I put my coffee? Oh, I put it over here, Joe. Afraid we'd knock it off. Oh, thanks. This one's mine. Okay. You seem to come in bunches. You get two or three, and then you wait for an hour. Well, they don't use this highway much since they put through that all in it, you know. Police business. Yes, sir? You travel this highway every night about this time? Once in a while. I haven't been over this way in a week. You didn't drive this way last night? No, sir, I didn't. Anything the matter? Routine check. Thank you very much. You can go on. Nothing. Well, it looks like a hopeless job, doesn't it? Hmm, business is picking up. Here comes another one. Looks like one of your sheriff's cars, Pete. Yeah. Reynolds, homicide. Pete Sutton? Yeah, Reynolds. You can pack up. They found him. Is he all right? Two bullet holes in the back of his head. listening to Dragnet. Five a.m. Tuesday. The body of Highway Patrolman Eugene Brewer was found half buried in a shallow grave approximately four and a half miles from the point where his car had been found standing on the highway. The scene was roped off, photographed, measurements were taken, and the area carefully gone over for any physical evidence. A few scattered residents were again checked and asked if they'd heard gunshots. Since the nearest dwelling to the place where the body was found was two miles, there was a possibility that they could have not heard the shots. No one could give us any further information. The coroner's autopsy showed that Patrolman Brewer had been shot three times in the chest, one bullet directly entering his heart. He'd also been shot twice through the base of the skull. 1 p.m. Wednesday. I get it. Homicide, Friday. Pete Sutton, Joe. Yeah? Just had a call from our Hollywood substation. Woman reported her car stolen on Sunday night. Thought the guy was going to bring it back. That's why she didn't report it sooner. What about it, Pete? It's a Plymouth sedan, last year's model. Same type the truck driver told us about. Sounds good. We already have a broadcast out on it. We're putting out an APB now. You want to check and see if they got it on tonight's hot sheet? Right. Anything on the guy who stole the car? Boyfriend of the woman who owned it. He left her in a restaurant and got away with her car. Remember the description of the guy the truck driver helped out Monday morning? Mm Mm-hmm. The guy that stole this woman's car, it's the same. Yeah. Still doesn't prove he had anything to do with it. Doesn't prove he didn't. 
together with Pete Sutton and Dave Terry from the sheriff's office, we drove out and interviewed the woman whose car had been stolen. She told us that the man who had taken her car had also been seen in the company of one of her girlfriends, a Miss Helen Farrell, who worked as a cashier at a Hollywood theater. The Farrell girl identified the man as Mike Lapino, and she gave us a snapshot of him. She also gave us his last known address. We had no actual tie-in between the theft of the woman's car and the murder of patrolman Eugene Brewer, but the circumstantial evidence made it at least worth checking out. The only car known to have been in the vicinity the morning of the murder was the car the truck driver, Nat Wolf, had reported. The same make and model car had been stolen the night before the killing. The general descriptions of the man from two different people tallied closely. We figured before we'd pass this lead by, we'd check it out all the way. 4 p.m. Wednesday, we met with Inspector Bowers at the sheriff's office. We checked this Lapena's apartment, found a shirt and a pair of pants, black paint on both of them. I sent for that truck driver, Nat Wolf, to identify this picture here. You find anything else in the apartment? Well, this address book, there's no local places in it. They're all Las Vegas, Nevada addresses. That's it, huh? Yeah. What'd you get from the record bureau on the guy? The eye bureau pulled the package on him. That is mama sheet. Thank you. Mike Lapino. Spent some time at San Quentin. Armed robbery, grand theft auto, assault. Pretty good record. I'm still not positive he had anything to do with the Brewer killing, but he's had the training for it. Yeah? Send him right in. Matt Wolf. Mm-hmm. Come in, Mr. Wolf. Thank you. A dirty shame about that boy. Read about it in the paper. Yeah. Got a photograph we'd like you to look at, Mr. Wolf. You bet. Yeah, that's the man. You sure? Sure. No mistake. Hey, uh, why do you suppose he was painting that car at 4 o'clock in the morning? Maybe that's what that patrolman wanted to know. We waited for an answer on the APB. Two days passed. Saturday, June 9th. Received a phone call from the Las Vegas, Nevada Police Department. The stolen black sedan had been found in the downtown area of Las Vegas. We requested them to put a stake out on the sedan and ask them not to disturb either the car or its contents. Together with Pete Sutton from the sheriff's office, Mark Benson from the highway patrol, and Ray Pinker of our crime lab, we flew to Las Vegas. Pinker checked the stolen car. Embedded in the rear seat were two spent bullets. There were also bloodstains on the seat and on the floor of the car. Pinker flew back to Los Angeles where the evidence was analyzed. The bullets found in the car were fired from the same gun as the bullets found in the body of the dead patrolman. Fingerprints lifted from the stolen car matched those of Mike Lapino. Saturday afternoon, we checked in with Chief Harry Miller, Las Vegas Police Department. This is all you've got on him, huh, Chief? That's most of it, yeah. Since we staked out that black sedan, I've had the town covered for Lapino. No one saw him abandon that car, huh? No one we know of, no. Had good cooperation from the newspapers. Story's been on page one since the thing broke. Anything come of those names we got from Lupino's address book, the ones we phoned to you? Uh, let's see, I got the list right here. Yeah, here we are. These are the ones my men have checked out already. George Connolly, nothing there. Harry Carlson, he and his wife have been checked out, nothing there. William Spencer, nothing in his place. We've got them all staked out. At least two to go, huh? That's right. We're checking the last two now. Nothing from the railroad stations, the airlines? They've been covered ever since we got your phone call. Yeah. Well, I could be wrong, but I think your man's still here in town. Any reports on him? A couple of wild ones, nothing definite. Checked him out. Had one this morning from a dealer at one of the clubs downtown. About 10.30 this morning, he saw Lupino playing the two-bit slot machine. We showed him his mugshot. He swears it's the guy. Well, all we can do now is sweat it out, huh? 
My men have covered everything. I don't know what else we can do. Yeah. Excuse me. Sir. Chief Miller. Yeah? You sure it's him? No, don't try to handle it alone. Keep the place covered the best you can. We'll be right out. They found him. Two Las Vegas detectives named Billings and Vance answered a phone tip from a groceryman in the east end of town. He said a man had been buying groceries from him for the past two days and lived in the apartment house above the store. The two detectives showed the groceryman Lupino's mugshot. He gave a positive identification. They then checked with the apartment house manager. After looking at the mugshot, he identified Lupino as the tenant in apartment 10B. Detectives Billings and Vance staked out the place until our arrival with enough men to cover the area. Yeah, Chief. What's the story? He's in there. Hasn't been out all day. Apartment 10B. We'll take the front, Chief. Manager thinks Lupino has a gun. Made was cleaning the apartment, found some loose slugs in the dresser drawer. You still want it, Friday? Oh, it's our headache. Joe and I will go in, Chief. Right. Vance gets the men up on the roof to cover. We've already fanned them out around the building. I don't know what they tell you in L.A. on one of these things, but here we tell them to be careful. Right, Chief. Joe, let's go. on the second floor. Let's take the stairs here. got two left. Well, she's got another gun. Well, let's take him. One good kick ought to get the lock. Right. Just a minute. Well, let's go, Pete. Uh, I got it! I got Watch that gun, will you? Lupino! Let it alone, Lupino. I got it. All right, come on, get up. You all right, Pete? Okay. I got the cuffs. What's a big idea? You tell us. You killed that patrolman. He got tough. You didn't have to kill him. Spotted the stolen car. What else could I do? Come on, you. He had as much chance as I did. That figures. Yeah. Two bullet holes in the back of his head. The story you have just heard was true. Only the names and locations were changed to protect the innocent. On October 2nd, trial was held in Superior Court, Department 91, City and County of Los Angeles, State of California. In a moment, the results of that trial. Michael Everett Lupino was tried and convicted of murder in the first degree. The jury failed to recommend the death penalty. Lupino is now serving his life term in the state penitentiary. Ladies and gentlemen... The Los Angeles Police Department requests the cooperation of all Dragnet listeners in the following police matter. The Los Angeles Police Department would like every and any information regarding a gun fitting the following description. 38 caliber special Smith & Wesson revolver, gold seal model. The gun has a blue steel 4-inch barrel. 
The serial number is 210088. 210088. If you have any information as to the past or present whereabouts of this gun, contact W.H. Parker, Chief of Police, Los Angeles, California. This is a very important matter. All information furnished will be held in strictest confidence. Thank you. You have just heard Dragnet, a series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice comes from the office of Chief of Police, W.H. Parker, Los Angeles Police Department. Coming up, Duffy's Tavern. Three chimes mean good times on NBC. with otrwesterns.com where we stream live old-time radio westerns 24 hours a day seven days a week with a special twist you select the tracks that get to be played we've got a thousand different episodes from shows like gunsmoke tales of the texas rangers escape gene autry and many more come check us out at otrwesterns.com slash live again that's otrwesterns.com slash live you're listening to The Great Detectives of Old Time Radio with Adam Graham. And now, let's get back into the show. Welcome back. Well, this episode featured a uh, slight difference in the beginning. Only the names and locations have been changed to protect the innocent. And in many ways, that makes sense. Because the circumstance of this death doesn't necessarily scream um, an event that had to have happened uh, in uh, Los Angeles in the urban section. Now, there were sections of particularly the greater um, area that were a little less populated, where some aspects of the story may have been more plausible. But it was interesting that they admitted that the location was changed for the episode to raise really awareness about the risk that patrol officers face not only in Los Angeles, but all across the country. Also, uh, we saw Raymond Burr returning as Ed Backstrand. So apparently retirement didn't take, or more likely uh, they just decided to uh, ignore the uh, continuity because the Dragnet's never been uh, dependent on the internal show continuity. But at any rate, it was good to hear Raymond Burr back. All right, well, on to some listener comments and feedback. Tam sent along a very nice encouraging note with his donation, and we also received this uh, letter from Kate, uh, written on a very nice uh, card. Uh, Kate writes, I'm a great fan of the great detectives of old-time radio. And I should say this is a handwritten letter, so I definitely uh, appreciate the effort here. Uh, Thank you for bringing us these little slices of days gone by. I especially enjoy yours truly, Johnny Dollar, and Dragnet. Bob Bailey is delightful, and the character of Johnny is written so well. He can be hard-boiled, but most of the time is just over-easy. I love it when he just uh, throws away the expense account because his service either wasn't necessary or for some poignant reason. The guy has such heart and as well as integrity. Dragnet is my favorite, though I tell you some of it could have been uh, recorded today. It seems so real to me. I love the uh, naturalistic quality of the acting. The lack of gunplay or other violence so far in 1950 
and the conscientious reminders that cops are human. The loss of any human being, cop, victim, or perp affects us all. Lastly, I like listening to old-time radio because it transports me to another place in time. I love to ride my bike a 1930s and 40s district near my home, Forest Hills in East Rochester, New York. And imagine the thin, excuse me, imagine the residents of those houses gathered around their radio every week listening to another case being cracked by a great detective. Well, thank you so much for your uh, kind note, and uh, definitely a lot of good points in there. And certainly the lack of gunplay would be something that would um, find Dragnet throughout all of its um, seasons and uh, shifts. And I think it has a very interesting effect, because it's played realistically. When there is gunplay and there is violence, it feels impactful. It feels like something exciting, important, and out of the ordinary has happened. Um, when you have a program where violence happens every week, it's just kind of desensitizing. It's like, yeah, somebody got shot, somebody gets shot every week. And certainly there are programs, Dragnet in particular, but it's not the only one. Uh, of course, uh, our last uh, listener support special really had a feel of uh, currency and of being uh, something that could have been taken right from the headlines right now. But thank you uh, so much for listening, Kate, and I appreciated your card and the uh, enclosure. And uh, finally, we do have a listener comment from uh, Trixie, uh, who just says simply, love these. Well, thanks so much, and I do appreciate uh, kind comments, and uh, that will actually uh, do it for today. Uh, remember that you can support the show on an ongoing basis at patreon.greatdetectives.net and uh, you can, for a, a donation of $7.14 per month, uh, that gives you the Detective Sergeant package, which comes with the premium site and one free ebook every six months, along with early access to the uh, episodes that we're going to be uh, recording in the week ahead. A full list of available uh, thank you gifts as well as the levels that we are uh, going to achieve including uh, grading our server at $800 a month and moving all advertising comments to the end of the show at a thousand a month are available at patreon.greatdetectives.net. In the meantime, send your comments uh, to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com slash radiodetectives. And uh, you can also uh, support the show on a one-time basis, support.greatdetectives.net. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.